what a way to start off with some system of a down. I mean, how do you, how do you not get primed and hyped and ready with a little bit of system? Wake up! Oh, man, that gets me going. Well, you know where you're at by now, because if you're listening to me, that means you have drifted off into the ether. I am your host, Dwayne Finley. And, uh, and yeah, man, this, this podcast thing is, is rocking and rolling. I really want to thank everybody who's made the ether a, uh, a regular destination. That's some bravery. It takes a lot of balls, a lot of balls to, uh, to enter the ether as willingly as you have been. also want to give a shout-out to uh, our primary sponsor, the B&K Law Firm. Tremendous group of professionals will willingly and readily take on any case. They're 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 a firm for the people. I mean, if they represent me, that 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 should that should show you pretty much what they're. Uh, they really have no criteria or 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 bar, so to speak. No pun intended. But <laughs> great guys and sponsoring this into the Ether podcast. So, you know, we've touched on a, a wide variety of topics in our in our early goings here but you know it's all been a build up to this kind of after dark special you know we're going to talk about conspiracy theories tonight i mean i don't think we're going to zero down to one we we will get more specific as as time goes on but i really wanted to touch on a big part of uh my fascination with things is you know what what you would kind of loosely call or lazily call conspiracy theory you know i i'm uh yeah i don't wear the tinfoil hat and live off the grid but but damn it, I mean, I'm a card-carrying member. And I think it's just the idea that it's, I think it's an accepted thing that, that we, 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 we know very little about what the government has going on. And, it, and it's the game set up that way. We're not supposed to know. And I think if we did know the full scope, we'd fucking, like, it'd melt our brains. It'd melt our minds down. I mean, I, I always start with this. And, and forgive me, because I don't know the exact numbers. I don't have the information in front of me, but... When I was a young when I was a young kid, I remember, you know, I think GI Joe had a, a a toy model. I think it was a Cobra plane, but it was the the SR seventy one Blackbird. Now, I think that was late seventies, early eighties when they unveiled the Blackbird. You know, speed of sound could go. Could I think the big thing with that was how high it could fly in the the atmosphere. Um, you know, you look at that that just that it was a modern marvel of technology at that time. I mean, to think from, you know, World War II and the the B-52s and shit like that, or the bombers, I'm sorry, like, uh, you know, my info. I'll just say the bombers. You know, you look at, like, the dogfights with the Luftwaffe, waffle, whatever the fuck, you know, with, with Nazi Germany. And you look at those planes, right? And then you get into the, uh, you know, so, some some advance, but not you know not so much that you're not really showing. And all of a sudden, boom! SR seventy one Blackbird, this fantastic thing, right? And then shortly after the Blackbird, a few years, they unveiled the bo- the stealth bomber, the stealth bomber. What a just awe awe inspiring visually, uh, what what it was capable of, just amazing technology, and and, uh, and craftsmanship at these beautiful, hell of expensive jets, right? Think about this. This was early 80s when the stealth bomber was unveiled to the public. It's been 30 some years since. And I can't, you know, I, I you know, you see like the Tomcat or things like that or some other things that they've kind of tweaked and but nothing as just matter of fact 
change of direction as the stealth bomber. It didn't look like anything before it. It had capabilities, you know, uh, that we had never seen before. And ladies and gentlemen, I mean, that was fucking flat out 30 some years ago. So in the, in, in the, the time between then and now, can you imagine, can you imagine what they've created that we have no idea exists? I mean, I think I heard one time somebody from uh, the skunk work situation, Boeing or whatnot, said that, you know, if if it's in a Star Trek movie, we we have the capability to do it. And that's crazy. When you think about now, you know, the things of the last, you know, uh, 10 years with like Higgs boson and the God particle and CERN and, you know, these quantum computers, D-Wave, I believe it's called. And I remember like legit just... I could feel feel my brain just melting to pieces. I'm watching this like TED Talk kind of video where the the creator of the D-Wave quantum computer just openly said, you know, we have the ability to harness energy from from uh, from different dimensions. Are you serious? Like I, I've never heard that even publicly accepted in science that there's multiple dimensions outside of our our what we call reality or what our own. And here's this guy saying, you know, we're harnessing energy from other dimensions. Like, it's an accepted, like, hey, it's Tuesday kind of thing. Amazing. You know, and, and that's what I mean. I think there are things that have been going on for some time, uh, for as long as, you know, human history. It's just fascinating to me. You know, if you look at, like, if you took all of human history and just laid it out on a flat timeline, okay, from, say, the, uh, you know, um, creation of the wheel or the discovery of fire, to, to the present day, right? You have a whole lot of emptiness and slowness. And, you know, then you get to, say, the early, the industrial age. And I think that's when shit really started popping off, right? You have the combustible engine. You have electricity. You know, you got Edison. Well, Tesla, that's the man. But you have Nikola Tesla, Thomas Edison, figuring out alternate and direct current. And you have uh, Henry Ford, with with uh, with the engines, you know Carnegie, all these guys. I mean, uh, History Channel have a had a great series, the men who built America, and to show like the power struggle between the Vanderbilts, Carnegies, and J.P. Morgan's and shit like that. That's, these titans of industry and finance, you know these these things were awesome. But if you look at the development of just human progression towards technology. You go from, say, like, say, the, the creation of the wheel until, like, say, like, 1950, right? The industrial age is just kind of, you know, starting to bl- blossom, you know, after the early, you know, you have half century of industry is what I'm saying. And, but relatively in a short amount of time when you look at the grand scale. And then from 1950, you go from, like, you know, color television being a brand new thing and computers the size of a fucking living room. And then you look at the next 65 years, you know, going to the moon. Like I said, stealth bomber. Now we have, I mean, I'm recording this podcast and we all have, you know, these computers at once the, the size of a fucking, you know, living room or downstairs of a house. Now we all have them in our pocket. You know, where did this come from? You know, where did we all of a sudden figure shit out that's so quantumly just, it's just such a quantum leap forward. I mean, how how do we just make these discoveries? And that's what I'm saying. If you look at the correlation of the Manhattan Project, uh, Roswell, you know, the, the idea, just the idea that we found something that we were able to reverse engineer to create this 
just amazing flood of technological advances. I mean, I just don't, I just don't understand how, how folks seem to think that such, just such a blow, just can't, can't fathom that, that something like that occurred. But something had to occur, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, we didn't figure this out on our own. If so, why did it, why, why did all of a sudden it, you know, we go centuries without any huge advancement and now, you know, we are, we're, we're literally figuring out the part, the particles that created the universe or how it happened, you know, dark matter, shit like that. But I think it all comes with consequence, you know? So there's, there's the, let's get into the first bit of conspiracy talk, the, the Mandela effect. You know, this is a, it's a, uh, for those who don't know, the Mandela effect is a concept or a phenomenon based on a, a large group of people misremembering information. The, 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 the phenomenon is named after, you know, Nelson Mandela, the fact that many people believe that Mandela died in prison. And I, and I, and I it, it, during the 80s, I believe, and I think people attribute that to like an Oprah Winfrey special saying that Nelson Mandela had died no matter when, in fact, he didn't die to the, to like 2015 or 2016, something like that, you know? Yeah, my info isn't sharp, but that's the gist. But, you know, then you have all these little things, like the one that caught me first was, you know, it's the comedian Sinbad, the actor, you know, him playing a genie in a movie, right? And we think of it like Kazam or Shazam or something, but everybody kind of flips it up with that shitty Shaquille O'Neal genie movie, not Fooshnickens, <laughs> Fooshnickens, but, you know, and then it's sort of this widely accepted thing that, sh- that Sinbad was a genie in this movie and when, in fact, Sinbad never played a genie in a movie. And that's something that everybody just can't accept another one this is the one that got me though once i started looking into it there's all kinds of little things like the way fruit loops is spelled is different kit kat the hyphen um jiff peanut butter or jiffy you know things like that but the one that got me that i had to had to do a little checking on was the movie forrest gump you know in the movie the one of the famous lines from forrest gump is life is like a box of chocolates you never know what you're gonna get right and that's the way everybody remembers that line, but apparently the actual line in the movie is Mama always said life was like a box of chocolates. Now, when I saw this, I just couldn't accept it. You know, I said, yeah, I get the Sinbad thing and the Kit Kat and Jif and whatnot, but this one's not right. This one is off. I Just even contextually, contextually in, in the movie to say, life was like past tense, right? You know, it doesn't make sense. So I, 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 you know, I was, uh, you know, poking around the house and kind of digging around and I found a Forrest, uh, a copy of Forrest Gump on VHS that we, that we, we've owned for a long time. And right there on the box in writing, a quote from the movie on the back of the box, it says, life is like a box of chocolates. Not was, is. So would they misprint the most famous line from that movie on the box? No. Life is like a box of chocolates. Not life was like a box of chocolates. Craziness. So and another, another popular one is uh, Queen, uh, we are the champions or we will rock you. You know, there's, you know, there's this dispute or debate Mandela effect that, you know, at some point Freddie Mercury says, you know, you know we are the champions, you know, of the world. Yes. Okay. In the 
in the original like version of the uh, or the original version it's not recorded that way it's not on there but there is a version a very popular version that it is on there so things like that you know that's not so much misremembering that's just two different situations so the the concept being why is the mandela effect possible why did it why is it happening or happen the idea that something happened with our our timeline or you know, in our, our, our the, the accepted timeline of reality, something disturbed that, that changed a detail. Not like uh, Avengers uh, Endgame or Back to the Future type thing where something was, you know, something was changed in the past so it altered the future. But, you know, with, you know, CERN and uh, particle collisions and, you know, literally disrupting the fabric of time. Could something have happened that would change or force realities to split off? Where in one reality, you know, this was this a certain way, and the other reality was that, and then somehow because of these scientific experiments, these things are bleeding into each other, and these these opposite um, these opposite results do exist now are are accepted reality. I know that's a lot of tin foilage. That's a lot of kind of whoop-de-whoop what-ifs, but that's it. that would kind of explain some of, you know, the Mandela effect in these ideas, you know, that, and it's always been science fiction, but now when you hear the D-Wave guy talking, that's saying this is like the accepted reality that, you know, there's a version of you, me, that that that's always existed, and every decision we make, you know, uh, splits off into a different reality. So then you have like, so if you've seen like Interstellar, you have all these uh, all these dimensions or all these realities stacked up on top of each other. And in one reality, you know, you chose to make a left, not a right. And then that then came all the circumstances and things that came out of making that decision. You know, I'm not sure I can really jazz on all that. Um, I'm not sure how much I really dive into that situation. But I, I do believe that there are multiple dimensions, multiple universes, multiple versions of things. I'm not sure how finite or or whatnot, but that 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 feeds into, you know, my biocentrism theory of time being a flat circle in this loop that we've done and we've always done. You know, again, we will get into more specific things when I have shows dedicated to those concepts. But today we're just kind of freestyling and riffing on some of the things that would be considered conspiracy theories. Now, I will tell you, um, I've always had things that have floated around, you know, uh, theories that I've kind of, you know, jazzed on, you know, uh, Montauk and the Philadelphia experiment, you know, things that there's some basis of, uh, accepted, acceptable event, uh, acceptable, uh, accounts of a certain event. Um, those things have got me, but the, the, the one thing that really kind of shaped my view and changed the degree of which I am a conspiracy theorist is, um, my my uncle Al, right? He's uh, he's not biologically my uncle, but he's been a close friend of the family, and he's an off the grid, you know, um, total anti government kind of guy. And he gave me this book, probably twenty years ago, called "None Dare Call It Conspiracy." I know it's right there in the title, but um, "None Dare Call It Conspiracy," and I, I I highly recommend this book. I mean, you can find it probably on Amazon now. I think it's probably still in print somewhere, but. The basis of this book was a timeline showing the creation of the Federal Reserve. Okay, why is that important? Hugely important. 
important because it changed the way that we how we finance things and 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 how this new world order type situation illuminati whatever you want to call it was able to kind of push this agenda forward so you look in the Woodrow during uh, prior to World War One in the Woodrow Wilson presidency, I think is 1911. You know, there was the creation of going away from the, the national treasury and creating the Federal Reserve. And in the Federal Reserve, you have those all those names that are synonymous with conspiracy, right? The Rothschilds, you know, things like that. What it essentially shows in this book is, again, documented accounts, factual evidence that the Federal Reserve has in some way funded both sides of each major conflict that's that's happened since 1911 and why because war is business and if you look at America's history and conflict we've been engaged in some form of conflict pretty much ever since the beginning of World War 1 I mean, if you look at some of these things, like Vietnam made no sense, okay, but then it made sense when you look at certain aspects of the, the, the financial gain. And then our, our entire presence in conflict in the Middle East, you know, f- you know, the oil situation, I mean, none of these things seem like, you know, you know, redneck, you know, uh, Confederate flag, shotgun, you know, like, hey, woohoo, like, the, like these are crazy theories, but they're not. I mean, if you look at the how do we get out how do we get out of the Great Depression? You know, you look at these things and you know, the Federal Reserve has pretty much financed everything from both both sides of each conflict, you know? And it's it's madness. So you so that I think this and this book cuts off, I think it was written during the, the Nixon administration. So early seventies, I believe that's where it cuts off, right out of time Nixon took us off the gold standard. And it painted a picture of, wow, like these things happened in plain sight right out in front of us. And, you know, putting a name like the Federal Reserve, you know, we think of the federal, we, th- we think that's a federal agency, but it's not. It is, it has no, it is, is not, you know, uh, a situation that's tied into our government, but that is our <laughs> banking system. I mean, that's obnoxious and crazy, but, but, but that's how it is. So, you know, I read this and that kind of opened my eyes to how much they put what they're doing right out in front of us. And, you know, you get into like, you know, the concept of like lizard people and, you know, Nibiru and Planet X and all these things. Like the one one that I do really jazz on is, you know, harp, the harp system. I mean, that that's crazy. And we'll dedicate an episode to that. But, you know, the idea that you can control weather and use it as a weapon. I mean, you go back into like the Reagan Star Wars era and you think like these things were openly talked about, you know, uh, black budget uh, programs. Like, could we use weather as a weapon? And absolutely, you know, you want to, you know, a drought, flooding, you know, uh, all kinds of shit you could use. And I do believe that is something that we have that we have used. And I think it's something we continue to use. I mean, that place outside of area 51, the, uh, the harp, the harp location is, is like Fort Knox protected. Why? Like, why is it, you know, why does it seem to matter so much if it's, if it's, if it's an innocent weather, weather project. And if you've seen these things that are huge fucking, you know, these huge, uh, monoliths that, that just shoot large amounts of, you know, electromagnetic energy into our atmosphere. I mean, it's craziness. 
But what's it for? You know, and I, and I fully believe that. I mean, our government, just our history shows our government has done horrible shit to its own people. I mean, that, you know, Tuskegee experiments being one of them, like, oh my gosh. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the whole, uh, what is it? Shit, sterilization uh, throughout the Midwest, you know, uh, just craziness, just shit we've done. And so when you look at things like 9-11, you know, and again, I, I need to put a disclaimer, like, yes, we will address this in a full episode. But like the, the concept that people are like, there's no way that the government would do that. Fuck, man, the government's done far worse, far worse. And they've openly done it. I mean, you know, the thing about 9-11 that has never sat well with me. Several things. For one, like, have you ever tried to, like, send a text or for, for some reason tried to do, make a phone call when you were in the, in the middle of a flight? It's impossible. It is impossible. Even with Wi-Fi on some of these planes, it is imp- it's damn near... You know, it's 50-50 if you, can, if you can send a text. That's with Wi-Fi. So you're telling me that all these people who had far less quality technology on that day were able to get these phone calls out at 20,000 feet? No. Like, that, that's, that's insane to me. And, you know, the idea is that cockpits started locking from the inside post-9-11? No. I mean, this was before. You know? And what got me is the... You know the uh, the 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 flight that crashed in 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 rural Pennsylvania. That the you know let's roll. That the you know the the citizen the civilians took it down. I remember watching this shit. I think there's still some. I think you can still find it on YouTube. It's been pulled multiple times, but I, I it usually resurfaces. But you know anybody in their 30s and 40s by now has seen some type of plane wreckage, you know, like if a you know, transatlantic flight goes down, I mean, the fuselage is spread over miles, you know, and, you know, over it hits land, you know, it's just, it's just a fucking mess, right? As, as you would figure. But I remember watching that clip from the news and there was just a black spot of earth. Like I didn't see a fucking plane wreckage. I didn't see twisted wings. I didn't see, you know, just anything scattered across miles out in this open field, just a black smoldering spot in the earth. You know what I mean? So the concept, if you will think, you know, you have these planes, you know, two have already hit the towers. I believe the Pentagon had been hit at that time. And I believe the flight 93, whatever was headed for the white house, so to speak. So let's just say, hypothetically speaking, that a stealth bomber can scramble anywhere in the continental United States in in less than 20 minutes. I I believe that's an accepted situation. I I don't know the time exactly, the amount of time, but I've heard that that's a pretty broadly accepted thing. So you have this, this, this plane headed towards the White House, you know, and of course that can't happen. So you know, hypothetically speaking, these, you know, you, you scramble bombers, stealths, and they, they take this plane out of the sky. Why is that such a bad thing that's protecting, you know, uh, our, one of, you know, our, one of our sacred monuments, a symbol of freedom, and you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs, right? So then these 250 lives had to be lost, whatnot. Why, why would that not be acceptable? Because it wouldn't be. People would lose their shit, uh, you know, uh, amidst all this chaos. Was it the right thing, wrong thing? I don't know. So then you get this story, right? You create this, you craft this beautiful, uh, heart-wrenching, you know, 
let's roll story. You know, Colin, you know, I love you, you know, blah, blah, let's roll. You, and this, the story gets out, it gets, it's heroic. The, uh, the people on board, you know, fought to the end. They took this thing down. Okay. I, I didn't buy it then. I don't buy it now. I mean, there's plenty of shit to unpack about the whole 9-11 and all that stuff, but that's the one that never sat with me. You know, that never sat with me at all, that, that this was the plane that they took down, and uh, it was just this, 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 it was too nicely wrapped with a bow on top. And again, you know, you can't send a fucking text on Southwest with the Wi-Fi you paid for, but these phone calls got out. Yeah, again, it just, it, it just doesn't sit well with me. So, you know, you have things of this nature, and you, these things that are blatantly in your face, and things we just accept, but why? Like, when you take a little closer look and you see the things that don't make sense, and how dare, you know, you even ask, you even question anything, especially surrounding 9-11. You know, they slap that ugly truth or line on there. It's like, no, we should be asking questions. We should find the things that don't line up. You know, like the, I think Loose Change pointed out brilliant, brilliantly that that the, the, uh, the, the mark on the, the Pentagon from where the, where the plane hit, you know, where, where are the wings? Where, where is, you know, the things that should, should be there, but they're not there. You know, it's craziness and no, no video footage, so to speak, that one little, I think, you know, the one little thing we've always seen, it's that most protected, one of the most protected places in the world. And that's the only footage we have. I mean, it seems a little insane to me. So, you know, when I look at that, and then you look at what else aren't they telling us. And then, so that's the crazy thing is if we all remember, I think it was the day, it might have been two days, but the day before 9-11 happens, Donald Rumsfeld, Rumsfeld goes in front of Congress to say that he doesn't know where $3 trillion has gone. Like, it's just missing. $3 trillion is just missing. You know, and everybody's like, what the fuck? And then the next day, next morning, 9-11 happens. So again, you know, people are like, oh, that's crazy, and, you know, you, you, you know, has nothing to do with the other. Come on. Like, what we should know, or if you listen to this podcast enough, you're going to come to understand that nothing happens at random. Nothing. Speaking of, uh, we got to pay the bills. See? It's not, that's not random. It's not happenstance that fucking you're about to hear a commercial for something. You know, that's happening right now. And I'm telling you, strap up that tinfoil. You know, put it on tight because we're about to get crazy coming back after break. This is Dwayne Finley and you're in the ether. After the jingling, tingling sounds or whatever the fuck that was, you are back into the ether with your boy, Dwayne Finley, that is I. Today we're talking about conspiracy theories. Just a general brief touch on, the, on that subject matter. There's way too many specific individual shows that fall under that umbrella. I mean, we could talk, I could talk conspiracy theory for days. But on the second half of the show here, I do want to kind of put focus on one area in particular that it's a phenomenon, if you will. There's no true conspiracy theory to think, you know, like it would be a political thing. This would kind of fall more in the supernatural realm. realm. And I am talking about that of nightmares slash sleep paralysis. Now... I experienced the latter for about three years, three intense years. And it's crazy because maybe it was just the, the era, you know, the early 2000s, late. Yeah, I believe it was early 2000s for sure. 
know, internet wasn't like my MySpace was popping, you know, things, internet as we currently know it was just starting to blossom there, you know, with uh, chat rooms, information, all that shit. Well, you know, I never looked into it or I never did any real research the way I would now, you know, something, I hear a term or a phrase or a historical reference that, uh, that interests me, I'm, you know, I'm, I quickly find myself down the rabbit hole of information. I'm sure I'm not alone in this. I'm sure that's most <laughs> how most people research things or uh, look look into them further. But you know, I never really looked into sleep paralysis. I thought it was kind of a unique experience. I thought you know I was I never it wasn't that deep. But I mean, not to that point where I was like, oh my gosh, you know, my life's falling apart because of this. It was just these these random intense experiences that would happen several times a week and then kind of over the then once I think about it on the grander scale it took place over about a three-year period and you know it's funny because there are outside factors right I mean anytime you have intense dreams uh, nightmares you know things like that where they manifest into something a little out of the ordinary you know you really have to look at outside indicators and you know and stress is always that one that one main thing that can just make the body go funky cold Medina can just like wackadoo. Like one day your body's just, you know, wearing uh, the standard school uniform uh, to his classes. And then the next day he shows up in a f- football boots and a cowboy helmet wearing a diaper and a cape. I mean, that's what stress could do. Stress could just flip you the fuck out and make your body just go crazy. You know, so at that time. Uh, at the time this started happening to me, uh, we had just become parents uh, to a beautiful baby girl. Um, you know, we jobs jobs were always tough. Uh, very little, sleep, very little real sleep. All these things. You know, the new added stress of uh, protecting. You know, my family. You know, especially at night. You know, I come from a rural area of like you know, it's, it's te- where, I, where I'm from is technically classified as a village, two hundred people, and then moved to the you know, metropolis that is Indianapolis. And at that time, we weren't living in the cushy burbs, baby. No, no, dog. We were down in it, down in that cité under the orange lights where you couldn't see stars. But, you know, things like that. So, you know, stress was what I'm about to explain. Stress probably definitely had a factor, life-changing, all these things. Well, what would happen is I would go to sleep, and it was always the same thing. I would go to sleep unaware that I'd really fall asleep, but then I'd wake up. But know that I was actually still asleep. I was just conscious of my surroundings, and it had a, And of course, I always had a dream-like tinge, but it was just like I had fallen asleep and I opened my eyes, and you know I'm looking around the room. Well, what's first? It would start as I would get this sudden and unexplainable, just intense, as, as intense as I can. As, one, as you can imagine, the most intense fear for absolutely no reason. I would just become incredibly afraid. And then once you feel that fear, it's because you start to assume that something is in the house. Somebody's broken in. Um, and your first instinct, because it's fight or flight, is what you're feeling, is to move. And that's when you realize you can't. You are just frozen stiff and your mind is is 100% aware 
and in control, saying, come on, you know, you're like, you're selling yourself to move, you have to move, and you're trying, to, and you're struggling, uh, and that becomes frustrating, but then this fear that something is about to, uh, just this fear that something's coming, that's where it started, okay, and these were the, so then, these were the dreams, and I either wake myself out of them, I either wake myself out of them, or Renee would hear my, my breathing, my, my crazy, like, it would, I would just, I would be breathing, like, like Lamaz almost. So that's where it started. And then, you know, the, those would happen, and I was just, every time I'd be like, damn it, you feel so exhausted uh, when you actually wake up. It's the strangest thing. And then, so then, it built from there to where I would wake up, be frozen, paralyzed, feel the fear, want to move. And then I would see the door, and you know, I, I couldn't turn my head to look at the door, but in my mind, it was like a close-up scene from a movie. Like the camera zoomed on the door, and the door handle would start to turn, and then, then the door handle, then the door would open, and you, know, you just want to jump up, and you know, is somebody attacking you? Is a home invasion? And then you know, I, I, I'd finally wake up, and then that's the point that it would break at for a long time. It build up, build up, and as soon as that cut, camera cut to the door, and the doorknob turned, and the door slowly started open, I'd wake up, and. These, this happened over and over for about, you know, uh, a span of a few months. And then I remember I got to a point where I started talking to Renee about it, and she had said that she'd had an intense dream or two herself. Well, and then they just kind of went away. It was weird. I switched jobs and just kind of went away. I was getting regular sleep and everything, and then we we built this new we built our you know our first home, and then we moved up there and everything. We were probably in there for three or four months, and then that's when the major one started to hit. Now you have to understand that the way that house is set up is, you know, you walk in the door. There's the main staircase. When you go up to the main staircase, the first two rooms you're gonna hit are my children's rooms. And you turn down the hall and the master suites in the back. So as I would have these intense dreams and this fear, then the camera would cut to the killers like POV as they're walking up the stairs. And I'm, you know, I'm struggling and trying to scream, but I can't. I'm frozen stiff. And now there's like this trip, like there's a weight on me, like I'm being held down. And I would see the, the killer's hand reach out for one of the doorknobs and then I'd fight myself awake. So again, then this was the next couple months. It was this every every other night. To the point where it started changing just the way I thought about sleep. I got, it was almost like Nightmare on Elm Street where I was just didn't, didn't want to go. I was afraid of it. Nobody wants to experience that kind of fear, that, that helplessness. Well, this, like I said, that lasted a few months and then that went away. And it went away for a long time. But when they came back was the third and final version. That was the actual shadow figure standing in the doorway walking through the doorway towards me and then like a bursting out it like burst out it like explode towards me in this mad rush and then i wake up so i feel the initial like i said it's a step by step like paint by numbers like i'd wait you know i'd wake up realize i was asleep oh no this is happening again the fear would start i'd fight to move couldn't move uh the door handle turn but you know the finally the doors swing open and then this, this shadow figure which you stand in the doorway and, and as soon as i acknowledge it it would just burst at me and i always wake up and like i said this this like that was the crescendo but it built like this from for like over like a three-year period and then finally, you know, I just, uh, they just vanished. They just went away and they haven't been back since.
And I hadn't thought about it for probably a decade. And then I was flipping through Amazon Prime trying to find something to watch. And I turned on this documentary called The Nightmare. And man, it's eight different people talking about their different experience with sleep paralysis and, you know, the, the mythos and kind of urban legends behind why this happens, what, what this is, where the word nightmare even comes from. Crazy. It was, you know, it wasn't a blow. It wasn't a play, you know, down to the letter, play by play of what I went through. But listening to some of those people speak, you know, that uh, they pretty much they accurately, accurately described the phenomenon, which told me they'd definitely been through it before. You know, and uh, to the extent of like seeing multiple shadow figures, never didn't happen, but just the one. Well, so a nice little bookend to that story. So now I do that for three years and, you know, I'm super paranoid of going to sleep at night because, like I said, the 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 intruder, the monster, whatever, would have to come up the stairs in my children's room there. And, oh, I just... I was terrified of it. It, just, it was a, a growing fear, even though we live in this super safe environment and, you know, this uh, nice little subdivision. But so then, uh, mind you, at the same time, you know, the, the family's growing. So uh, uh, we would go back. I would, you know, we would try to go back as a family or up north to see Renee's side uh, on her dad's side. Or, or we'd try to go back west to see my family as a total unit. But uh, a lot of times, you know, with money and just schedules like you know Renee would stay because she has to work on the weekends and I would pack up and take the kiddos for a just a quick day and a half turn and burn to see my family you know and um you know like I said I I only had those night terrors for a certain time where it felt like somebody was like reaching through the door and my wife would you know hear me breathing like that and wake me up yeah so like that only happened there and then we went through this period where it was um just it was nice it was nice and easy but like i said we were we were on the road a bunch trying to make sure we saw all our family and and, and you know the things that you know it's difficult on a on a on a young squad that has you know piddles little little little, little stitties and uh you know hauling them around stuff well there was one particular weekend you know i never liked uh i never felt comfortable with renee being alone at the house especially if i wasn't here but, uh, you know, our neighbors were all close friends and they're all of similar age and they hung out, look out for each other. So I was never all too, too worried about it. Well, so, uh, you know, I, I go away one weekend, Renee's working and then I uh, come back on that Sunday, you know, I get back in the late afternoon, early evening. It just, just gotten dark and Renee was still working. So I, you know, beat her home and, um, you know, as soon as I, I was talking to, Zoe, I was, as I was walking up, as we were walking up the pathway, holding Atticus in his little pumpkin seat, but I was talking to Zoe about popcorn, and when I walked in the house, I heard something move upstairs, because we, we, we have a cat, we had a cat at that time, but it wasn't like an animal moving, it was like a piece of furniture, kind of a piece of furniture moving, the way you could hear it upstairs, so I immediately froze and, you know, walked back out of the house. I took my kids next door to my next door neighbor. I asked if they could, you know, watch the kids real quick while I went and looked through the house and gave it a good look. I heard something I didn't like, yada, yada. So they, they agree. I come back, you know, I snatch a knife and, you know, pull, or pull my knife out and, you know, walk through the house. You know, fortunately do not find anything. Everything looks uh, copacetic and right as rain. So don't think anything of it. Well, anytime we go out of town like that, 
you know, we'd always, uh, and it was a tradition we continued for a long time, even as I went into journalism. You know, when I got back in town, we'd all just kind of sleep in the same bed and all pile on top of each other, you know, uh, like the, the close-knit family we are. Well, we did that that, that night that, I, that we were home and Renee got home from work. We all piled in, boom, I fell asleep. Well, next day I told, you know, I told Zoe to go get a change of clothes out of her closet. Uh, and uh, mind you, this is like later in the day because we vegged it around. Uh, yeah, we came back on a Saturday because we vegged it around on this Sunday as much as we could. And I think there was a soccer game or something. So by the time I, you know, I sent Zoe up to her room for something late, like mid-afternoon. Now, mind you, we'd been out of the house for a couple hours. And, I, and she comes she comes back and says, Dad, there's a, like an exploded pillow in my room. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because she hadn't gone in there at all since we've been back. It's her kind of first time in. She goes into her closet and said, there's an exploded pillow. I walk in as I'm turning the corner. I can, I can tell immediately as I set eyes on it that it's, it's, it's cellulose insulation. It's blown in fi- you know, uh, insulation uh, or fiber, whatever it is. And uh, it's the kind that, you know, they don't come in like strips. They just blow it in like clouds. You know, it looks like clouds. And then I, I looked under, from her floor. I look up. Sure enough, the attic access from her closet, one of three on the property, was a, was open. Was was open. And th- those things had never been touched in the, in, the, in the several years we lived there. So, uh, you know, I immediately called the police, you know, because if something's up there, I'm not going up there with my kids home. Of course... Uh, police come and they go looking up, you know, up, they go over to my attic and there's nobody there, but they have me come up as well. And as you walk past several beams, you know, that stuff is just blown in. It's never touched. Uh, there ends up coming uh, down a couple beams down. There ends up being an impression where somebody was clearly laying, where a full size person was clearly laying. And my just, my, you know, my heart fell, you know, right on the floor jaw dropped you know I felt so in that moment so violated so like the security uh, of my family had been breached and you know like I couldn't believe it and then you know I got to thinking that you know all the fear and panic from the the dreams and that all kind of kicked in I just kind of had a mini little meltdown and it's funny as as we were upstairs with the one Fisher's police officer the other one yells uh from the bedroom so we go down there and come to find out he was kind of looking around because I said about like the possible intrusion and uh, he noticed that, you know, when you have a piece of furniture on carpet, there's a, you know, there's an imprint where it's been forever. And he noticed that our wardrobe in our bedroom was bumped out a little from the wall and it's next to our bed. So I look on the carpet and sure enough. So here's the even scarier theory that this creep had been watching the house and only thought Renee lived there by herself because, you know, there wasn't, we weren't around. So he gets, he, he comes while nobody's here, gets in through the garage. And according to police statements was hiding behind the wardrobe in her bedroom, waiting for her to come home. That's terrifying. Absolutely fucking terrifying. And then I felt like the biggest piece of shit, even though nothing happened that I left my wife vulnerable and all these mixed feelings and stuff. Right. So, uh, the, you know, police leave and, you know, we're just up in arms, uh, about the whole thing. So as we kind of kept looking through, uh, looking through the house, you know, so what they figured out is they went into the, the garage as well. And Renee had strung out all of the, uh, Christmas lights that we have on the floor and a bunch of them were smashed. So, and then the further investigation, the, the doorknob of Zoe's, 
um, Zoe's closet was bent down, so that's how he got up in the in the in the attic. Uh, he stepped on the thing and pulled himself up. Now, when he got up there, is the even scarier part. Is like I said, police the police uh, say that he had broke. He got in the house and he was hiding behind the wardrobe. He heard me come home. I heard a man's voice, and then when I walked back out to uh, take the kids next door, he tried to get out of the house, tried to get back through the garage, how he got out, how he got in the first place, but then broke all those strands that he smashed on him, couldn't get out, ends up running back up into the house. As I'm coming in, he, you know, goes up, the only place to go. And I mind you, I, I imagine the uh, insulation didn't fall out when he went up. I'm sure he was careless as he got out. But that's what they figured. He sat up there for a day and a half. And then when we left to go to soccer game, whatever, he fucking boogied it. Okay, so now you have this situation and this violation. And, you know, I'm on, obviously, on edge. So not only did, uh, you know, I've never been a gun guy. I've been around plenty of hunted. You know, I, I was raised around him. But I just never took to him, right? And uh, I never felt the need to, to use one, you know. I um, I just, you know, I felt whatever I could handle, I could handle, you know, in your mind. Yeah, you know, one, you could handle somebody coming in. Uh, but then when it really happens, like, shit, it's, it's totally different, you know. So um, my father-in-law gifted me a 38 we we got a safe it was all you know we took extra precaution to make sure it was never around the kids but that was the thing not only did so you have a gun in the house but now i just could not and absolutely refused to sleep upstairs because now that nightmare was real now there was somebody coming in the house what if they came back they know how to get in uh and you know and that's another thing we had to change the garage door it was, it was nuts so you know this went as far as renee and i are on like on a sunday trying to uh you know watch watch some uh tv after the kids go to sleep finally and we're having like our time and i love to have the windows open especially when it's breezy and then all of a sudden something would catch out of the corner of my eye i th thought i saw somebody walk by the window <clears throat> boom go flying out of the house like just fucking looking for blood you know like it went like this forever you know forever and you know renee was always like you know you can't let this you know own you control you and you know, like I said, I I was like a sent I was like a sentinel, man. I I would guard this house, and my 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 ideal was that the worst things, the most fucked up things, happen between three and four in the morning. Uh, so like nobody's gonna try to do a home invasion at five, you know. Um, so that two to four range, I was you know on high alert. And then of course I had to work at like six thirty seven in the morning. It was crazy. So I would stay up until four. All's well, you know, final kind of perimeter search, make sure everything's locked, and then I'd sleep from fucking 4.15 to 6.15 and then fucking fly to work. It was crazy, man. Crazy. Well, so this goes on and on, and then it's funny because, as I said about the cell phones things earlier, and there's no communication, that, you know... At the beginning of this, like, there was no neighborhood Facebook page. Nobody could communicate. And then, you know, as that page gets built, coming to find out that this guy's been fucking peeping Tom and people, uh, breaking into other houses. Like, it was a known thing, a known thing that was terrorizing, you know, our neighborhood. And uh, nobody knew about it, you know, because there just was no, like, forum. Well, once the forum came, everybody knew. Well, so as, as it would happen, like, a year after the, the attic sleeper, Renee finally convinces me. To sleep and you know come to come to bed like a normal human being, and you know sleep sleep where you where you should be sleeping. Don't let this shit you know it's gone on long enough. So finally you know I'm in a good mood. I'm calm. I say okay. But my you know I take a bat upstairs to stick it next to the bed and I say look 
You know, I'm going to sleep with the window open. I know you hate it. You know, but here's the here's kind of the procedure. If something fucking crazy starts happening and I wake you up, just you fucking call 911 because I'm, I'm going after it. Yeah, 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 she says. Well, so that night, that exact night, the, the first night in like a year that I slept upstairs, I'm dead asleep. And all of a sudden, I can hear somebody walking in the backyard outside of our house. My eyes pop up. I listen. I hear it again. I look at the clock. Sure enough, it's like 2.30 in the morning. I'm like, fuck, everything's real again. You know, this is really happening. So I wake up, and I fucking grab the bat, and I grab her name. I wake her up quietly, and I say, look. And I make sure she's awake. I shake her, like, little pretty face, but and got her, like, fucking making eye contact. I'm like, there's somebody outside. I am going outside. Well, if you hear this ruckus pop off, you fucking call 911 uh, quick and get the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, Renee, I'm going outside. And once she realized I was, she kind of, you know, woke up a little. At least showed me she was. Sure enough, I get my fucking bat, throw on a fucking shirt. I'm, you know, I'm wearing boxer briefs. Not worried about that. I fucking, since it's in the back, I go out the front. I sneak out the the front door and I head towards the side of the house. And I'm creeping along the side of the house, gripping the bat, you know, trying to play all these scenarios in my head. Well, as I get to the corner of the house that that adjoined to the backyard, I'm, like, sitting there trying to keep my breathing in check, and I fucking hear it. Plain as day. It's about 15 feet away from me uh, on the other side, right behind me to, to my left on, around this corner of the house. There is somebody in my backyard. It's confirmed. So then they start walking towards me. I can hear it, and there's a little chain jingling, and I can hear it. I grip that fucking Batman, and I'm like, this is really fucking happening. This is really fucking happening. You know, fucking killer be killed. Ah! And when it got, like... Two footsteps from that corner, I fucking jump out and cock that bat back. And I swear you, that dog came probably like a fucking inch from my face, from biting my fucking face off. Dogs, rah, 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 rah. It's, it's the fucking Fisher's Police. There's one right there, and there's another one back there. And they're, and, they're, and they're screaming at me, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, this is my house. This is my house. The guy's like, I know this is your house. What are you doing outside? I said, I heard, heard somebody in my backyard. He goes, get back inside. We have an incident uh, with your neighbor. Please get back inside. So I go back inside, and sure enough, the the family that has lived, uh, that I share a backyard with in, in the 13 years that I've been up here, uh, there's probably like six or seven then, but it's the same family, a family, uh, Latino family, uh, husband, wife, um, uh, they're, they have a son, and I think her two brothers have lived there at a time. Anyway, at this time, there were three grown men living in this house with, you know, with uh, his wife and their two children. So... Um, apparently, um, you know, the two brothers are sleeping out in the living room on this couch and the husband and wife are in their marital bed. Apparently, uh, as it turns out, uh, this, this fucking neighborhood creep was, uh, was going down the, was going, just cruising around the neighborhood late night and saw they left their garage door open and he goes inside the house. Now, as he goes inside the house, he sees there's two grown men there, and he scouted this shit before, so he, he goes, this, this is the balls in this person, walks straight through them, goes, creeps back into the bedroom, goes to the wife's side where she's sleeping with her husband and like sex, like assaults her, like grabs her, you know, just grabs her in, in you know, private places. She wakes up screaming. The husband wakes up screaming. 
Dude tries to make a break for it. Husband puts some hands on him. By now, the brothers woke up. They heard it. So this fucking dude, this this creep fucking pervert, is now fighting through the gauntlet to get out, you know, with these three Latino gentlemen beating the piss out of him. Well, once he gets out the door, he just fucking, he just beats feet out into the darkness. They chase him for a while, but he gets away. Well, here's the thing. He had been riding a bike around, and when he, he saw that garage open, he, he, he parked his bike, and he... He, you know, went in on foot. Well, that was the thing is the, the police dog sniffed the bike uh, and they, they literally followed this guy's trail all the way back to this house on uh, on the edge of the neighborhood. And uh, it ended up being this 19-year-old kid who, <laughs> who was living with his grandmother in this neighborhood. And, oh, my God, when that shit popped, it was just like, you know, they about chased that lady out of town with pitchforks. It was a it was a bad scene, but yeah. So that's kind of how it came full circle. Attic sleeper guy, you know, end up attacking my neighbor, and uh, I almost got my face bitten off. And I and I and I and, you know I, I'll say this on record, but you know, a little pee came out probably. I mean, everybody you know, I see on Facebook, everybody wants to act like a badass. You know, come and try my home and blah blah blah. I wish motherfucker would. Well, I'm telling you, when you're standing there. You know, gripping a fucking Louisville Slugger TPX, knowing that there's somebody five feet away coming around that 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 corner that has horrible intentions. I mean, that's the thing is the one detail I forgot that kind of predated everything was before the uh, attic sleeper situation when we had just it was I think it was our first Christmas in our in, in our new house. You know, there was one section in the back where we didn't have blinds up, and. Um, and I remember we were out at Renee's dad because it was Christmas Eve, and I remember it had, it had started snow. We got home and put the kids to bed, and we got you know Santa all set up, and we were having a beer and a glass of wine by our wood burning fireplace. You know, it was just perfect and hallmarkish. And I was laying on the floor by the fireplace, and Renee was on the couch. Well, where this window that was didn't have blinds, that, that you couldn't see what was on the floor, you could just see the couch. So I had fallen asleep by the fire, and Renee wakes me up, and she's like. She's like, look, it's snowing. She, and she points out the window and she's like, come here, D. She's like, look how much it's snowing. And then all of a sudden I see like the fucking just the, the, the work, like all the happiness and joy just instantly falls from her face. She's like, oh, my God. I'm like, what, what? You know, and I walk up to the window and sure enough, you could see where, you know, fresh snow had fallen. It had covered, coated the ground where it was green before. Now it's white. And in this little spot right outside the window, you could see where footprints where somebody had been standing and smoking cigarettes. Oh, my gosh. You know, so I called the cops that night and that that was the thing they said that stuck with me was, you know, for somebody to come this close to a house, especially on a holiday, like this close, they didn't do it with good intention. And what was scary was since, like I said, it was freshly laid snow so you could see footprints, the the creeper guy had been walking, making a path, walking from our, that window where he could see Renee across my backyard catty corner to this little blue ranch house where this nurse, this young, this young nurse, probably in her you know, late 20s, early 30s, lived alone. So he was walking back and forth from that nurse's, what I will later find out is her bedroom, to this room where he could see Renee. So, you know, when the cops came, we went and knocked on her door and explained the situation. She went out the next day and got a huge fucking floodlight, motion light, which was, you know, a cool thing because anytime I go off, you know, you'd be like ready for action, but there's lots of bunny rabbits and shit around this backyard. But yeah, so that was that saga, you know? And, uh, you know, what started with the little fucking Christmas thing ended with my neighbor's situation and 10 years in prison, um, for, for that, for that, for that sick individual. But 
And, you know, I know I got off course with that story, and that's not conspiracy related, but I was just saying the uh, those things. It, it's strange how the the uh, the terror and the paranoia of sleep paralysis, you know, modern day nightmares, uh, would actually lead to tangible, real anxiety and paranoia in a situation that would come to be known as the attic sleeper. So, that's my. Uh, that's that's my that's my journey this week. Thanks for rocking with me as always. Uh, thank our sponsors. Thank you know I said you know uh, B Law Firm, two of the best, and they'll they'll literally represent anybody. Um, be good to each other, folks. Be good to each other. Hug, smile. Make sure you take time to laugh and and tell somebody that you know if you don't do it often, tell somebody that you really care about just how much you love them. Uh, thanks for staying with me in the ether. Those are the rules, and I'll see you next time.